All right, I've, I've been asked to bring God's word today from Isaiah chapter 9. And uh, Isaiah is a book that I really, really love. And uh, I, I struggle to put my thoughts within a few minutes because it's, it's such a rich book and very deep with so much that can be gleaned. So um, as I prayed and gave thought to it, I thought I should just, you know, just present to you a few thoughts and leave the Lord to just work on your hearts and, and, and give you further understanding as he will want you to have. And so by way of title, what I said is promise of hope. Where is it now? The promise of hope in the darkness. And I must tell you that I thought about so many titles. And I give you the liberty to give it your own title. There is, <laughs> there is no reason why you shouldn't find your own title for this uh, brief reflection by the time we finish. So this is my thinking. This is my title. But please, if you're writing or you're making notes, feel very free and welcome to give it your own title by the time we go through. But in my way of trying to put my thoughts together in prayer, I said, promise of hope in the darkness. Because we're dealing with Isaiah chapter 9. So, another thing that I thought to do to also help me stay focused is to think in three steps. One step is to talk about something brief about Isaiah. And then secondly, to talk about something brief about the people that he's been sent to. And then where I hope to put more time and energy is something about God. So it's something about Isaiah, something about the people that he's been sent to, and then some, something, something, something about God. So something about Isaiah, it's where we start from. Um, the very meaning of his name is the Lord is salvation. Yahweh saves is another variation of that name. So we're dealing with an author by the Spirit of God whose very name embodies his message. And we, we, we're also dealing with a culture that's very different from our own. You know, these days we give a birth to a child and we just give any name that comes to our mind. You know, you just, you just, just give it a Met people with all kinds of names, uh, very wonderful names, some very strange names, and people just give names. This is not the case with Isaiah. This is a man whose very name embodies the message that you're going to encounter in the whole of his writing. His entire writing is positioned to help people that encounter his book as encountering the Lord who saves. If you study Isaiah, if you encounter the book of Isaiah, and you miss the fact of the Lord, a central figure of salvation, and the person that brings salvation, you've missed the, pl you've missed the plot. Because his very name tells us that. Now, you know, my name is Jacob. I'm sure you know that. And 
I don't know what you think when you hear the name of Jacob because I've, had, I've sat through all kinds of sermons, I, I tell you. Being a Christian for as long as I've been now, I've sat through different sermons about Jacob. Some have even refused to call me Jacob because they just think that's not right. Something is not right. You know? But when my father gave me that name, all that was going on in his mind is that I was going to have 12 children. That's all. So he wasn't thinking about your sermon and your revelation and whatever you think about the name. In his mind, this son will give birth to 12 children. I've disappointed him, you know. <laughs> when he insists on saying, what's going on? I say, well, you know, I have other spiritual children. He doesn't know what that means. You know, he wants to see more children. Uh, I have two. Uh, biologically, I have others that are not biological. But in his mind, he wanted 12 children. That's what's going on in his mind. So sometimes I feel the tribe that I come from, you know, do things in a way that has some semblance with the Jews. <laughs> you know, I'm not claiming being some, some Jewish ancestry. But, you know, the, I, I see that thinking in his mind, you know, when he gave me that name Jacob. And then he gave me another tribal name, which is Aond Tehemba. Simply means the Lord God Almighty is above all. How is that? It's great, isn't it? I kind of feel like Isaiah a little bit here. That, that, that by his very name, you need to encounter his central message that the Lord is able to save. Something about Isaiah again very quickly. His prophetic role, his ministry, his calling, his proclaiming this word of salvation in a time where it was not popular. He kept doing that for 50 years or plus. There was something about prophet Isaiah that speaks about sustained hope. There was something about his ministry that talks about a man that speaks the word of the Lord and doesn't look at the circumstances and doesn't give in to the natural surroundings. And he just, he just kept speaking the truth. Sustained hope is something that you cannot miss. When you encounter the book of Isaiah. A hope that stays strong and sustained over time. He's very different from us. He's very not like us. You know. they are, uh, I, now, I also feel uh, maybe I'm not Isaiah. <laughs> 50 solid years. Uh, I guess some people would have thought this man maybe is a false prophet. You've been saying this thing for so many years. It's 10 years now. It's 20. It's 30. It's 40. 50 years. He lasted over five kings at least. Speaking this word of salvation is coming. Salvation is coming. Salvation is coming. And, this, and they will look around and it doesn't look like it's ever going to happen. And he just kept at it. Not less than 50 years. Final thought about Isaiah. Is best known as the Old Testament prophet who vividly predicted the coming of the Messiah and the fall of the Assyrian Empire. And he is one prophet whose writing helps us to settle the argument that the Old and the New Testament is the same book, is the same message. 
What you see in the Old Testament is just a continuity into the new. Isaiah typifies that very clearly. When you encounter the book of Isaiah, sometimes you will think you are reading the New Testament. When you go to the New Testament reading the words of Jesus, you see him taking you back to Isaiah. Isaiah fulfills that central role of helping us see the old and the new as containing the same message. Isaiah helps us to see this Messiah that is coming. And what makes it fascinating is that Isaiah speaks about this coming Messiah hundreds of years before it happened. So many, many, many years before it happened. Or when you encounter the book of Isaiah by the help of the Spirit, you see that the Bible... It's true. It is the word of God. It has every proof to convince someone that approaches it with humility that this must be God. Isaiah fulfills that role. Now, beyond the person of Isaiah, you must stay with the fact of his message. It's not about him as a person. Just like his name depicts and his ministry shows, and what he stands for speaks about. It's not about him as a person. It's the message that he seeks to convey to us. And so, we must move from the person of Isaiah to what he needs to convey to us. And what he needs to convey to us is that the Lord is salvation. There is salvation in the Lord. Amen? Alright, that's my thought one. Thought number two, something about the people that Isaiah was sent to. Because he spoke around a particular period, he spoke to a certain people, and sometimes because Isaiah is written so many, many, many years ago, um, we, we, could, we could miss out what he is saying and fail to connect properly to it. And so maybe when we see the people that he is sent to, we can begin to make the connection from over 700 or maybe 1,000 years ago to the kind of people that he has been sent to. So thought number two, something about the people that Isaiah has been sent to. Something about the kind of people that he was speaking this message to. And there, that's very easy. You find that in Isaiah chapter 1. And then you can see that as you go on. You see that reflected in many ways. But chapter 1 helps us to quickly connect with the kind of people that Isaiah is sent to. It says, the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah son of Amos saw during the reign of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth. For the Lord had spoken. I reared the children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. Okay, so the kind of people that he sent to speak this word of salvation to, one, they are people that rebelled against the Lord. Verse 3, further indictment, verse 4, he says, War to the sinful nation. So Isaiah is speaking to a nation that is sinful. They are not like South Africa, they are sinful. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Is that, is that laughter a sense of indictment? Sinful nation. A people whose guilt is great. 
brood of evil doers. Now, you must know that this is not me, all right? This is Isaiah, so don't take it too personal. This is Isaiah speaking. I'm just trying to say it in the way that I think he said it. He said, sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, brood of evil doers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. And the penny begins to drop that even though Isaiah's ministry was hundreds of years ago, the kind of people that Isaiah spoke to are still found today. And this is important before we get to the excitement that our text gives us. This is vital because it helps us to really value the blessing that we find as we journey through the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is dealing with the people that have turned their backs on God. Isaiah is dealing with the people that are sinful in their ways. Isaiah is dealing with the people that... So this thing about corruption didn't start today, did it? didn't start today. As much as you will want to think it started with a particular name in this nation, sorry to disappoint you, it didn't. <laughs> didn't. Didn't. It's a long problem that has been living with mankind. It is a sin problem. And in case you don't find yourself in that category, say, I'm not corrupt, you know, I'm not leading any organization, my hands are clean, well, that's fine, but there is some place that you find yourself in this Isaiah equation with sin. And sin is such a terrible thing that a whole nation was facing real darkness and judgment because of sin. So the person of Isaiah, the people is sent to, vital for us to now connect to the text that we actually are supposed to talk about, which is something about God in Isaiah 9. When we come to Isaiah 9, the uneasiness in the room begins to lift a little bit. A little bit, you know, because nobody wants to be told you are a sinful people, you are a brood of evildoers. You are. People don't like that. People don't like the fact that their sinfulness is being confronted by God. But sometimes when we don't pay attention to that, then we don't stretch our hands to the remedy that God has provided. In Isaiah 9... 1 to 7, and I want to trust that in your own time you will read from 1 to 7, but for the purpose of time and just flow of uh, preaching, we look at verse 1 and 2 and then 6 to 7, but the whole thing is in case in Isaiah chapter 1 verse, I mean chapter 9 verse 1 to 7. So in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. 
And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And I'm struggling to just keep moving and save time and leave Eskom out of this conversation. I'm really battling. I'm very honestly, I'm really battling because I've been batched with questions about Eskom back in Brazil. Somebody was asking me, so what's happening in South Africa? We, we've been looking, you know, some fellow African brothers that were in that conference, you know, they were saying, so what's happening? I hear that there is Lord shedding. What is Lord shedding? What is going on? Why is there so much darkness? I hear that. So, I, so you know, as I prayed and looked, I battled not to bring Eskom into this and not to take too much time. But, but can I just say in passing that darkness is always not good? Simple as that, isn't it? Darkness is something that is always not going. People don't like darkness. But when sin takes center stage, darkness is the next thing that follows. Whether it's the sin of corruption at Eskom, or it's the sin of human corruption in depravity, darkness is what follows after sin. So having said that, verse 2 here, says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness a light has dawned isaiah now beginning to speak hope and he says in verse 6 for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty god Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And he says, the zeal of the Almighty will accomplish this. That's like a divine signature, like boom. It's going to happen. <laughs> right? When Isaiah speaks hope in the midst of darkness, speaks about light that is coming, he puts a huge divine signature on it and said, no human agency required. It will happen. It will happen. All right. Let's begin to bring our thoughts together now. So when you read 9.1, it says, nevertheless, immediately it points us back because you don't start a conversation by saying, nevertheless. You know, it means there is something you've said already. So Isaiah points us back, even though we're in chapter 9, he points us back to a number of things. He points us back to the beginning of the entire section, which is chapter 7. And he points us to some important facts in chapter 7. And then Isaiah points us to something in chapter 8, because you need chapter 7 and 8 to fully appreciate Isaiah's promise in chapter 9. And so he points us back to chapter 7, points us back to chapter 8. Now I know that we have the limitation of time, so I'm not intending to read the whole of chapter 7 with you, or the whole of chapter 8, but allow me to just point a few verses that I think will help to highlight why Isaiah will point us back by that statement, nevertheless. Why will Isaiah point us back? I'll point some few verses in chapter 7 and chapter 8, and then we'll round up. So, in chapter 7, verse 2 particularly, it says, Now the house of David was told, 
Aram had allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by wind. What do you understand by that? The sphere. Something terrible is about to happen. And somebody is so afraid that that fear is typified by trees of the forest shaken by the wind. The thing that will make the king of Israel to be that afraid must be very serious. And so there was a big problem coming. And the king was so afraid. As I said to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not happen. It will not take place. That which you are afraid of, Isaiah comes on the scene and just said, not going to happen. Not going to happen. So the reason why the whole nation and the king were so scared and afraid, Isaiah comes along and said, it is not going to happen. Let's move quickly. Uh, in, in verse 14, Isaiah now said, in 7.14, Isaiah now said, look, I know that this thing that you are afraid of, this political conspiracy, if you read chapter 7, there was political conspiracy. There was some, uh, you know, big time war that was about to break out. You know, it was all set in order and there was nothing to stop it. And as I say, it's not going to happen. And for you to know that that which seemed to be impossible will be made possible, there's a sign for you. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him, and will call him what? So Isaiah begins to introduce us to some big stuff here. Say, that which you are afraid of, and I'm, I'm saying to you that God has got this. And you're still struggling to believe. Well, this is your sign. Your sign is that there will be a son called Emmanuel. That in itself is supposed to be an impossibility, an impossibility but it's going to happen. I need to move quickly. Now, we've moved from chapter 7 to chapter 8. I hope we make the connection. When you come to chapter 8, you know, there is fear and then there is there is trepidation, there is political uprising, there is all of that, and the king is afraid, the nation is afraid. And Isaiah is that lone voice saying it's not going to happen because God has got this, God is in control. The people are still afraid, the people are still cons consumed by all the worry and anxiety and the corruption. And in that anxiety and worry and corruption, they begin to want to consult other gods. They move furthermore into darkness, further away. Because of fear and worry and anxiety, instead of moving towards God, the people begin to move more and more away from God. Instead of pressing on to say, God, what are you saying concerning our nation? What are you saying concerning our situation? What is it that is on your heart in the midst of this darkness and corruption? What is it that you are saying and doing? Instead of pressing into God, they began to press farther away from God. I, I can imagine for a minute that maybe they're saying, I, I don't think this church thing is 
really going to help. <laughs> I don't think this God thing is really going to help. Uh, I've got to find. I've got to have a plan B. Maybe I need to find some other plan outside of God. Even if I know that this plan B is ungodly, this plan B is out of God's will, this plan B is out of God's plan, I'm driven by fear and worry and anxiety, and I'm following that plan B. That's what was happening. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they're famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. That's very serious. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will thrust and they will be thrust into utter darkness. That's simply what happens as people are faced with pressure and situations of life, whether it's political, whether it's economic, whatever it is. As people are pressured into moving away from God, verse 22 is what awaits distress, darkness, fearful gloom, utter darkness. So this kind of darkness is it's a bigger problem than ESCOM, all right? It's, this, is, this is deep stuff. This is way more than ESCOM. This is utter darkness. All right. With all of this comes the place of Isaiah 9. Nevertheless, in spite of all this thing that I've been telling you, that some of you sitting here are wishing that I get through that quickly. <laughs> As I say, nevertheless, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. And you can say amen to that. Because that's a strong, strong, strong promise. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun or whoever it is that's mentioned here. But in the future, he will honor the Galilee of nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people working. This is Isaiah's prophetic promise giving to God's people that we're going through all of the things that was listed. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And you can say amen to that. Ah, Now this is our passage that everybody, I'm sure we can close our eyes and repeat it. But I'm not going to test you on that. I'm just hoping that this passage sits with you. You know, you can just recite it anytime. And I'm not also going to attempt it like, I know you've had so many preachings about it. So I'm not, don't expect me to, to break it down word by word. And I'm not going to do that. It says, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is giving, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. It is in the context of sinfulness and darkness and outer darkness that Isaiah now says there is hope. There is hope. There is hope. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the almighty will accomplish this. 
boom, it's going to happen. <laughs> that's it. That's, you know, that's how you say it in, in our day. I've got teenagers and they kind of know what I mean. When you say, boom, it's going to happen. They, you, know, it's, you can't change it. It's, it's for real. Isaiah says it's going to happen. So what's going on? We meet Isaiah the prophet. We meet sin, sinful people. We meet political confusion and fear. And we can identify with some of that. We meet darkness due to sin and judgment. And then we find hope of great light in the present darkness and gloom. Isaiah 9 now makes lots of sense. And what we must not miss is that hope is because of a person. And it says, for unto us, for unto us, because his hope is hinged on a person. And that person is called Emmanuel. So in the next few minutes, let's close in this way. What is Isaiah saying to us today? Isaiah is saying to us that there is hope and light in the midst of the darkness of sin, fear, and confusion. And this hope is made concrete and tangible by the evidence of the birth of Emmanuel. What Isaiah is talking about is made concrete by the fact that that prophecy got fulfilled. Emmanuel came was born. And so Isaiah's prophecy was not empty words. It was concrete. Isaiah is saying to us today, there is a promise of an everlasting fatherly love and peace like no other. You remember he talks about this son that will be born will be an everlasting father and the his, the peace that will come out of his rule and authority will be forever. Someone said something I like. He said, with this father, you won't attend his funeral. He's everlasting. There's no funeral. The place of this father in a person's life. It's no funeral. And you know, when you come to the period of Christian, uh, uh, Christmas, it's, it's mixed feelings for some people because they lose loved ones. I mean, I lost a loved one uh, some Christmases ago. And, and you know, you have that mixed feeling. But when you come to this loving, heavenly Father that Isaiah is presenting to us, there's no funeral. It's everlasting Father. The fulfillment of the hope and promise is unstoppable because the one who will ensure that it happens is the Almighty. Because it says the zeal of the Lord shall perform this. Remember? Boom! What do you say? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Finally, what must I do? I'm going to put all the three of it together so that we can try to close. First thing that I call us to do, if you're sitting here and you have not found yourself in a place of believing the message of Isaiah, I call you to consider that as the important step you need to take. Believe the message of Isaiah. Because in believing that message of Isaiah, you should have renewed hope 
that there is light beyond this corruption. There is light beyond Eskom. There is light beyond the darkness of sin. There is light beyond what you are going through now. And that light is eternal. That peace is eternal. Believe the message of Isaiah. Number two, I'll call you if you're sitting here and you have not come to a place of putting your absolute trust in this son, this Emmanuel. Well, this son and Emmanuel is the embodiment of Isaiah's prophecy of hope. And I call you to put your absolute hope and trust in Emmanuel. Third thing, what you must do is have a truly Merry Christmas and make it truly merry, not only because of food and family, all of that is good, but because of hope of eternal life and eternal peace that the birth of Emmanuel, which Christmas symbolizes, reminds us of. Everybody in this room can read. You read that and then I'll pray. Let me pray for us. Lord, we honor you and thank you for your word. And we praise you that you are faithful and uh, you are able to take us from hopelessness uh, to a place of solid hope. You, you're able to move us from being beclouded by darkness of sin or situation or circumstance to a place of hope that is placed on the solid rock. The hope that is placed in Emmanuel being the great light that will fill our lives with your peace and eternal life. We pray today that you will fill us with your peace, and that peace will lead us to peace with men, and that peace that will culminate in eternal peace in your presence. Thank you, Lord, for this um, wonderful congregation. I just pray your blessing on the eldership, on the leadership, on everyone that is part of holding hands with uh, Pastor Brad and his wife, that you will also strengthen their hands and that the work of God in this place will continue to grow and prosper to the glory and the praise of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.